I'm going to review just a little bit, and then we're going to get into Luke chapter 2 together. Um, yeah. Are you guys feeling overwhelmed this Christmas season yet? I don't know about you guys, but there was a ton of things that came up for December 10th. Like yesterday, we had to say no to a handful of things because we had a whole other handful of things that we had to be doing. And it is one of those things we can get very overwhelmed and stretched. Got to get here. Got to get that done. Got to make some cookies for my church family. You guys know what I'm talking about. There's always stuff to be doing. But again, guys, it is good to pause. It is good to look to Jesus. It is good to open up his word and to be reminded what it's all about. You guys know that there is a big purpose here for each and every one of us in this life. Some of us just wander through. We're just trying to get by. But God has big plans, and he's in the process of doing those things, fulfilling his mission, and we're invited into that, and we get to be a part of that. And there is a purpose even this morning as we gather together. Yeah, we're doing a little extra day, and it's fun. We enjoy this, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we don't want to miss what God is up to and what our part is. I had a great conversation earlier this week with what the hope is for the world and how God desires to fulfill that hope. I was talking with a brother in Uganda. They're doing great things. They just planted a church this last week. They're hoping to minister on Christmas Day to over 600 people. Okay, God's doing a lot. And we got to talk and discuss how God has chosen biblically as we study the scriptures. He has chosen the local church to fulfill his mission. Okay, they are acting as missionaries over there. They're going and they're doing much. But I so was rejoicing with this brother that, hey, you guys are planting churches. That is what God is going to use to bring the gospel, his word for discipleship to take place. And that's what we do here. The church is for the equipping of the saints. I thought it was about Advent. <laughs> Guys, without the hope, without a coming of Christ, what would our mission be? Without him coming back, what hope do we have to share with the world? We need to be equipped with the truth of Advent, of the scriptures as the local church. That is, we are discipled about who Christ is and what he's up to, that we can introduce other people to him. It's kind of hard to introduce somebody to somebody you don't really know. You guys ever feel awkward in that situation? Oh, I heard you know so-and-so. Kind of. Could you set up a meeting? Uh, I can see. No, we want to be in such a place with our Lord and Savior <laughs> that we're loving and enjoying our relationship with him, that we know him so well. Like, yeah, I got him on speed dial. <laughs> Let, let's, let's talk right now. You know, we can have a conversation together. And that's what we get to do. And that's our desire this morning is that we are growing in his grace, in the knowledge of who he is. Sound good to you guys? Sounds good to me. Um, Uriah, could you grab my water bottle over there? Thank you. Um. I got a phone, too. There it is. Think the best of me. I'm looking at the Bible. <laughs> um, yeah. I want to take a look with you guys. 
Hang on a second. I got my wrong notes. I'm like, I do not have a slide for that. <laughs> now it's making sense. There we go. Much better. All right, that's up there. Hopeful anticipation this morning. Last week we talked about Advent being that expectant waiting, right? And it is good to wait upon the Lord, okay? We want to continue to do that. But I also want to add one thing before we jump into this morning's study. And I want to look, it's also found in Luke chapter 2. I've read through this chapter a few times this last week. I want to look at Anna for a moment with you guys in her story. I'm going to read this real quick because I love how the New Living Translation put it, especially at the end. It says this in Luke 2, verse 36, Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years, and then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking to Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. And she talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. I kind of feel like Anna as a pastor, because you guys are expecting. You guys here are the ones who are waiting expectantly for God to rescue. Wow. Isn't that kind of cool? I wish more people were waiting on God. Many people are waiting for the 25th day of this month. And yeah, Christmas is a cool day, (laughs) but as believers, every day is the Lord's day. Do you guys know that? Every day. And we are to rejoice in him every day. And again, I say rejoice. And why can we do that? Because as believers, we have a joy this world doesn't have. We have a hope to share with this world. And I love this gal, Anna. Here she is, just in the temple, waiting on the Lord, praying, fasting, waiting on him. And then she got to praise the Lord and share with all of those who were waiting on him. And that's what we get to do with one another. We get to stir each other up in such a way. All right, time for some confession. The elf on the shelf is freaky to me. He's a scary little bugger. I've been seeing these pictures of him doing naughty things online. Have you guys been seeing those? But then I read an article by this Dawn Spice, and she threw out some practical things to do during Advent. So she spoke about turning that little elf on a shelf. How many of you guys have an elf on the shelf? Okay, I won't judge Larry. (laughs) Don't want to mention any names, Larry. Um, Anyways, uh, he's known as a a troublemaker, right? Okay. Um, And she proposed turning him into a server, like setting him maybe in the mixing bowl in the kitchen with a note that says, hey, Let's make some cookies for our neighbors. And then maybe holding a sign that says, hey, read the first chapter of Luke today. And then find him the next day saying, hey, now read chapter two of Luke. And then one that says, make a craft each day to give to your neighbors. 
your Sunday school teachers, friends, and so on. Learned the full lyrics to classic Christmas carols every day. Learn about different characters from the Christmas story every day. Wrap up books and open and read a different one every day. Slowly build a gingerbread nativity scene, adding to it each day. Make traditional Advent wreath. So Larry, your elf on the shelf can do so much more, bro. <laughs> but I think that's the point and why I appreciated that article. What can we do in light of Advent okay, to make it more about Jesus? That's what we want to do, guys. So we've all heard the countdowns, right? Ten, nine, eight, seven, six. Is he really going to count all the way down to one? Five, four, I think he is. Three, two, he is. One. <laughs> Hallelujah, that's the best one, bro. But isn't Advent a countdown also? But it's actually a countdown to something. Something big. Something really exciting. Okay? Um, so it really is simply a countdown. Kind of like with our candles. We're on the second week here. Next week we're going to have the th third. And then on Christmas Eve we're going to have the fourth. Okay? So <clears throat> how many of you guys have watched a movie two or three times? Or more? A few. I won't ask you guys which ones. Napoleon Dynamite. Um, <laughs> picked up the kids. You guys did an awesome job yesterday. Youth group, let's give it up for them. They served the women well yesterday at Women's Tea. I love seeing my little finster all dressed up. Anyways, uh, they did well. But the thing is, guys, there are times where we'll watch something over and over again, even though we know the ending. But it's a good ending, <laughs> and that's why it's worth watching again, okay? It's because we like the story, and that's the cool thing when it comes to Advent, Christmas time, okay? I find myself, and I've done this as long as I've walked with the Lord, I've always picked up right around Christmas, okay, Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, I always pick up the Gospel of Luke, and I read the first couple chapters. That's just something I've done forever. It's just like, hey got this expectant waiting, and that's kind of grown over the years. Now we do some Advent books. I got each one of my kids reading a different Advent book so we can share with one another. So it's one of those things we want to rehearse, okay? And the first Advent narrative really all comes around Christ, okay? Every year it comes back to Jesus. So this morning, I'm going to get my Bible teaching nerd on a little bit, and this is going to be some really good stuff if you pay attention, okay? This is kind of how I approach scripture, and I like to geek out over a few things, and I was geeking this last week in light of some of the things we have when it comes to the hope of Christmas, scripturally speaking. So I want to talk to you about our biblical hope this morning. So can you describe the feeling of anticipating a future that is better than the present, We've been created to do such. I think that's the way we're wired. We all do that naturally, and we call it what? Hope. Every one of us, we know hope's a thing, and we all do it. 
It is a state of anticipation. It is crucial for a healthy human existence. And it is a really important concept in the Bible. So hope in the Old Testament, okay? Kava, okay, is one of the words. And yakal is another Hebrew word. So we're going to take a little moment and look at these two Hebrew words in the Old Testament. And they're the two main Hebrew words that's translated hope. Now yakal means simply to wait for. Okay, it's like the story of Noah. You guys remember Noah? Okay, God spoke to him. Noah, you found some grace in my sight. Judgment is coming, man, because everybody's doing what they want to do. It's only evil, continually. That's all mankind is doing. But you found grace, and I'm going to bring judgment. I'm going to flood the world. It's going to rain. What's rain? Up to that point, it hadn't rained. So Noah's asked to build a what? A real big boat, right? This ark, okay? Did that take a little bit of time? A lot of waiting. I think he actually had to plant the trees because these specific trees were to be used on the ark. So I think he had to plant them. And, oh, all right. How long is that going to take for these trees? All right, this is year two, and they're only this tall. <laughs> Taking a little while. So did, would you guys say Mo, Noah had a lot of waiting to do? Absolutely. But when we look at the account of the story, when it finally started to rain, okay, and the flood waters. <clears throat> took over, flooded the entire world, you know what Noah had to do? He had to wait some more. Because <laughs> we're told in the scriptures he had to call. He had to wait for the waters to recede. So we see that word used there. Okay, And then the other word, kwava, which is meant to wait, it is related to the Hebrew word kwav, which means cord. And that's significant because it does produce the, when you pull a tav tight, there's a tension there. So think on this with me there. Waiting on the Lord, having this hope, okay, there's a tension that is given to us until there's a release. So that's koav. So the feeling of tension or expectation while you wait for something to happen I think of the prophet Isaiah. We've been studying him on Thursday mornings with the men's group. Okay, it depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and quavas. He waits for good grapes. Are they going to come? I see that they're growing. <laughs> Are they going to be good ones? There's a tension there. And we also see in the prophet Micah, he talks about farmers also both being quava and yakel of the morning dew to give moisture to the land. So the biblical Hebrew word for hope is about waiting or expectation, but waiting for what? I'm glad you guys asked. In the period of Israel's prophets as a nation, they were really sinking into the self-destruction. I know we don't know of a nation that's just sinking in self-destruction, but they went through it, okay? So Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord is hiding his face from Israel, and I will quova, I will wait for him. So the only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was hope in God himself. So if our nation would ever happen to self-destruct, brothers and sisters, hope in God. Do you guys see that's a biblical thing? 
Okay, there is biblical hope. So you find this all over the Psalms where there appears more than 40 times. In almost every case, guys, the people are appealing or they are waiting upon God himself. That's what they're waiting for. And we spoke last week a little bit about the things we wait for. Okay, but it's got to be God himself especially we as the people of God. I want to take a look, and you can jot down Psalm 130 with me. Verse 5, I wait, quava, for the Lord my soul waits, quava again, and in his word I hope, yakal. Okay, do you guys hope in what God has spoken? I do. Either I believe it or I don't. As a Christian, we don't get to choose. Well, I'm going to believe this part of your word, but I don't like this and what you say here and the responsibility parts. Judgment, sin, oh, don't know about that. I just want all the goodies. No, we as Christians, guys, you know that we're all in. We follow God, period. He's the Lord. He's calling the shots, the good, the bad, whatever. There is a cost to following Christ. I mean, we just sang a bunch of cool Christmas carols. And how much was about Jesus giving himself. You guys understand, he gave his life for you. That's how much he loves you. It's kind of like a marriage. (laughs) I'm giving myself to you. I vow to love you. You only. And that's exactly what Jesus has done with us, guys. And we respond to that and we say, yeah, I'm in too. You're giving your life for me. I'm going to give my life for you. We're in. That's a beautiful thing. And for you guys who have not done that yet, you need to give your heart, your life to Christ. Why? Because he's given his life to you that you may live. He wants you to have life. But there's a cost. You guys understand that there's actually a cost to our faith. We actually have to believe it. We actually have to do it. We actually have to live it out. So the prophet Hosea, he lived in dark times also in Israel's history when being oppressed by the foreign empires. And he chose hope when he said, and you guys can see it up here, God will turn this valley of trouble into what? A door of hope. Isn't that a cool scripture? I love that, right? So it is God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. And again, you guys have heard me say this over and over again. God is faithful. How do we know that? Because he is faithful to his word. He has never went against it, ever. Not once. And we can look back at the track record. You have been faithful. So why am I thinking and tripping right now that you might not be moving forward? You've always been faithful. And he's going to be, guys. That is who he is. So you look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. This is who you are. This is what you have declared. I can rest in that. In this last scripture out of Psalm 39, verse 7, it says, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? Quava, my hope, your call, again, is in you. You guys understand our hope is in him, in him alone. Well, that's pretty cool Old Testament stuff. There's a lot more there, but we don't have time this morning.
I want to talk to you a little bit about hope in the New Testament for a moment. Olympus, okay? In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus, they cultivated a very similar habit of hope. Again, you guys have heard that we as Christians are hope dealers, right? We know what the hope of the world is, and we get to share that hope with a world that is hopeless. So the empty tomb opened up a new door of hope. Why? Because Jesus overcame sin, death, hell. He really was the Christ, the Savior of the world. His sacrifice took. He rose from the dead, and we get to share that. So the use of this Greek word, Olympus, okay, it describes an anticipation. Peter said Jesus of his resurrection, okay, Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope. What? A living hope? Yeah, it's very much alive that people can be reborn into a new, different type of humans, okay? We are born Again, we are made alive. And Paul said the good news about Jesus announces the Olympus of glory. So Olympus is based upon a person, guys. Are you catching this? It's based upon a person, the risen Jesus, who's overcome death. So biblical hope is based on a person which makes it different from optimism. And this is where I'm going to have to have you guys engage right now and think through this with me. Very important for us as believers to get this. Optimism is about choosing to see a situation, how the circumstances could work out for the best. That's optimism. How many of you guys are just naturally optimistic? Okay. How many of you guys are not? Join my club. <laughs> That's me. So, but biblical hope isn't focused upon circumstances, isn't it? You know? So, in fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence for things getting better. It won't get better. You guys know that we're living in the last days? How many of you guys would say, yeah? Okay. What does the Bible tell us about the last days? Well, it's all going to fall apart. Do we believe? Then we know. And that's what the scriptures speak to. So hope keeps your soul alive. Hope's very necessary for you and I. You need hope not because you're going to die tonight, but you get up tomorrow and you live. That's why we need to have hope. God is up to something. And we get to partake in that, be a part of that. He has a plan for each and every one of you guys. You see, optimism is psychological. Hope is theological. Optimism is personal trust in yourself. Hope is personal trust in God. Optimism is what you think you can do. Hope is what you think God can do. You guys see the difference between the two? Very important. Biblical hope isn't optimism based on odds. It is a choice to wait for God to bring about future that is as surprising as, say, a crucified man, dead, <laughs> rising from the dead. 
Okay? And so we wait. And that is what biblical words for hope are all about. Hope is the expectation of what is sure to come. Are you sure? Are you standing upon that firm foundation that is not moved? Are you standing upon Christ, the solid rock? Because all all other ground is what? Optimism. Even if you have the most optimism of anyone you know. (laughs) It's all based on circumstances you don't know. But we can stand firm on Christ Jesus, guys. I haven't shared this with many people, but I can testify to this being true. How many of you guys would say, yeah, I can testify? Okay. Because there are things that have shooken out in life that have been hard. There have been feelings that have been so overwhelming. But I choose to stand in truth, stand upon God. Some of you guys know years back I went through a real hard season of struggling with anxiety and depression. I hit a wall, burned out, and I spiraled hard. But in that, I was able to continue to love my wife, to be a dad, to preach God's word every week, even though I felt like I couldn't. It's the last thing I wanted to do but I was able to stand on a firm foundation. Son, you feel like you can't go on. You feel like you don't want to get out of bed today. I understand. Those are very real feelings. You are exhausted. You are spent. You feel like you're dying, and everything is crashing down on you. I saw doctor after doctor, I was prescribed this and that, and we tried this, and I was a guinea pig. And they had me take a series of tests with a psychologist. And Sonny and I went in, and we sat down with the doctor to hear the results. And the psychologist didn't understand, because I'm a hot mess. Everything from the test, I shouldn't have been functioning. There's no way I should have been even there having a conversation with him according to how I feel and my circumstances. The beautiful thing in it, guys, there's a hope that we as believers get to share with this world that is hopeless, that they don't understand. We have place and opportunity to share our faith. Yeah, I feel this way, but you know what? It's not about my feelings. It's about Jesus Christ. And he is the rock whom I stand upon. He is my foundation. He is my savior, even from myself. He is my hope. He's my motivation. He's the one who gets me out of bed in the morning. He's the one that gives me the grace to suffice. Even in my weakness, I find strength, and it's not in myself. It's in him. Guys, this is what we get to share with the world. We have a hope that the world can't understand. 
even the most educated and doctored people out there. This doesn't make sense. It shouldn't make sense. Because God is so other. Do you guys understand that? He is so other. And it is him. And it's only by the grace of God any of us can stand. You understand that? It's only by his grace. It is him. So we do have a hope. Because we live in a world. I read a survey this week. It is a survey of just 2,000 random people from all over the country specifically on hope. I found it pretty fascinating because it reported more than 80% of the 2,000 that uh, were interviewed, they were desperate for some good news. What? 80% of people are desperate for some good news? Well, guess what? I got some good news. You guys understand that? We have neighbors and coworkers, family that are looking for good news. And we have that good news to share with them. But are we sharing? That's part of God's plan. That's why we're here. Go tell it on the mountains, guys. Go make disciples. But I got this going on. Don't you know about my circumstances? I don't have time right now. This is what we're called to do. You see, as human beings, guys, we have something to look forward to, especially as Christians. But if that thing can be taken away from you, your hope is misplaced. You guys tracking with me here? Okay. If your hope is, say, in your spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or in your kids in your finances, your 401, whatever, your career, it is misplaced. Through the last couple of years, uh, I'd say we've all been shaken. How many of you guys would agree? Okay. Our idols of comfort, our idols of safety, our idols of health, idols of relationships have been shaken to the core. And as one said, COVID has showed us the shallow graves in which we have buried our idols. Wow. But when you have your hope in something that cannot be taken away from you, it is a game changer. Because, guys, our hope is in Jesus. It's in a person. So you can have hope because Jesus cannot be taken away from you. You guys understand? No matter what you're facing, no matter how bad it gets, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. There is a God who loves you so much And there is nothing you will go through, nothing you can do that is going to separate you from his love. Nothing. He has promised never to leave you or forsake you. Even in your worst day, he is with you. But when you have a hope in something that cannot be taken away from you, it changes everything, guys. Changes everything. I love what Paul says when he wrote to young Timothy, a younger pastor. He started off his letter by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus 
by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. Wow. What a statement, huh? Tim, I'm going to write you a bunch of cool stuff about running church, being a good pastor, what God wants of his church. But first, you need to know Jesus is our hope. That's where it all starts, guys. You need to know that. He is our hope. So I want to conclude our time this morning considering with you guys Simeon. So let's go to Luke chapter 2 together if you've not turned there yet. We're going to take a quick overview of Luke 2 here. We'll pick it up in verse 22. Now when the days of purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him, speaking about Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. So the temple, that is the central thing, central place of worship for the Jewish people. Do you guys know that the temple is spoken of more than any other thing in the Bible? It's a big deal. And they would go, and they would do all these things that the law commanded concerning even firstborn sons. They would be brought to the temple and presented So all their worship and hopes, this temple. I got to go to Israel. You guys know what I didn't see when I was there? A temple. Just like Jesus said was going to happen, right? He said it was going to be destroyed, not one stone left upon another, you know. But we went to the foundations of the temple, and you know what they call that? The Wailing Wall. Why are they wailing? Because they have no hope. Their temple, their building is gone. You know what would happen if this building burned this week? Would our hopes be gone? No, I think we would actually rejoice. Yeah. Praise the Lord. God, what are you going to do out of this? Because I know my brothers and sisters, we're still going to get together and worship and minister. That ain't going to change. Because again, our hope is in who? A person. It is in Jesus. It is not a building. So just a little bit of context for you guys around the temple. Misplaced hopes. Even to the point they worshipped the temple itself. And yeah, they're going to rebuild a temple. Do you guys know that? You know they have everything ready for the new temple? And I get excited. When the architect of Israel finally gives the okay, do it, okay? That's kind of exciting because Jesus, we know, is going to return and is going to rule and reign from the temple there. It's going to be pretty rad. Looking forward to that, okay? And everything's set for that to happen. But again, our hope isn't in the temple. Our hope is in Christ himself, the person Now, just a little bit of context around these few verses. There were three rites or ceremonies uh, that we see here. One is circumcision, 
in verse 21, purification in first part of 22, and then there was to be the presentation of the firstborn son of Jesus taking place there in 22, 23, and 24. We also note, if you guys think about this, Mary's sin offering, okay? And we don't have time, but you can see Leviticus chapter 12, the first eight verses lay that out very clearly. And when you read that, and Mary bringing the firstborn son, it's just like, whoa, they're fulfilling the law. They're doing it, okay? And then they also, in light of the uh, presentation as prescribed, we've been going through Exodus. If you guys recall, the early part of Exodus 13 and then later on in verses 12, uh, 13, 14, and 15, it's about presenting and what you need to do in that, and it's all there. So you guys can spend some time checking that out. I want to jump to verse 25 because this is where it gets really cool. It tells us, and behold... There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man, he was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, not in him, but upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit told him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Whoa, how cool. Dude, before you die, you're going to see the Messiah. What? That'd be like God dropping down a Holy Spirit bomb and like, boom. You're going to see the rapture before you die. How cool would that be? Would you guys be living a little differently if God spoke to you that clearly? Hmm, pretty cool, huh? Anyways, where am I? Verse 27, maybe. All right. So he came (coughs) by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, the light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign which will be spoken against, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, Simeon, his name means one who hears and obeys. Okay? I wanted to name one of our kids Simeon. That would have been pretty cool, huh? Maybe we'll get that chance someday. All right. Did you guys catch here he was righteous? Just? I hope so. I underlined it up here. Did you guys see that? So this was his attitude towards God, okay, and his past. He's a righteous dude. He was also devout, his attitude towards man, okay, present. He's devout. And he was doing what, guys? Waiting. 
So his attitude towards hope, the future, he was waiting. So why this man? Well, three reasons, guys. Three times in this passage, it refers to the Spirit's influence upon him. Did you guys catch that? If not, look up here. I'll underline that for you guys too. Okay? (laughs) What do you think God wants from you and I? A sensitiveness to his leading, his spirit. Aren't we told not to grieve the Holy Spirit in our lives? Don't do it. Be yielded. Whatever you want, God. I'm sensitive. We're told in verse 25 that the Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit was revealed things to him in verse 26. And the Holy Spirit led him. He came in by the Spirit. And then if we look at verse 28 here, it was custom in Jerusalem to bring a small child to a rabbi that he might bless him and pray for him or her. Okay, that's why we do baby dedications here. Kind of cool. That's what Jesus did. And this is the coolest thing. I hope you have this underlined in your Bible. (laughs) He took him up in his arms. Picture this. Simeon taking this little baby, (laughs) Jesus, into his arms. The arms, (laughs) these these arms of hope and faith (laughs) stretched out. Here's Jesus resting in the arms of Simeon and Simeon resting in Jesus' salvation. There is no beautiful picture, more beautiful picture than that. That's why I put this up there. You guys have seen this picture before? I love that picture. I'm going to get a painting of it someday. Okay? If you guys have seen it, you've seen the background. It's the entire globe. It's like a world map behind them. And that's our Jesus, the Savior of the world. And then verse 29, guys, this section is called, you know, Simeon's nuns dimittis, or now dismiss. This is a salvation song. This is a missionary hymn, a message of hope, a prophecy of sorrow to come. I'm ready to be called home now. That's what Simeon's saying. I've seen with my own eyes. (laughs) Take me now, Jesus. Take me home. Right? So, what do you want to have happen so that you could say at the end of your life, Lord, now dismiss your servant in peace? Do you long for that? I've finished the race, I've finished well. My part, the purpose that you had for me, it's done. Take me home. You guys long to hear God himself say, well done, good and faithful servant. Be like Simeon. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Hopefully after we see salvation, we are ready to fly, guys. You're not ready to live until you're ready to die. Can you unpack that for a second, Pastor? You can jot down Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
It's all about Jesus. That's what I'm living for. I pick up my cross daily. I'm going to follow him. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He must increase and I must decrease. You know, I hope you guys see that in one another. I hope you can see that in me. You guys have known me for a little while. I hope you see more of Jesus in my life. If not, come kick me in my butt. <laughs> Bro! <laughs> You need to yield. You need to grow. You spend more time with Jesus. Because don't we become like the people we hang out with? Yeah. If we want to be like Jesus, let's hang out with him. We're a new creation. He's given us the spirit. Let's walk with him. Let's enjoy him. Let's abide in him. Because when we abide with Jesus, what happens? You're going to bear much fruit. It's kind of cool. And is it the will of God that we bear much fruit? Oh, and I guess I got to hang out with them. <laughs> Pretty simple. It's not that profound. A lot of us want a whole list of do's and don'ts. Just hang with Jesus because that list takes care of itself, doesn't it? Hang with Jesus. So hopefully after we see salvation, guys, we're going to be set to do and go whatever we ask. And then this depart in peace, <laughs> isn't that cool? To release, it actually means the releasing of a prisoner or to untie a ship and to set it on sail or to take down a tent or to untie a beast of burden. Pretty cool word, huh? Depart in peace. So it frees a believer from the burdens of this life and leads us into blessing of the next. So are you tied to this place? Are you tied to something? And if you are, what do you think you should do? Let it go, guys. Something I want to do someday is a hot air balloon ride. Yeah, I don't care for heights a whole lot, but that's something I think I would like to try. That'd be cool. Did you guys ever notice for a hot air balloon to take off and do its thing, what does it got to do? Got to cut some of those lines, right? What's holding you down, guys? Let it go, okay? Be loosed today. Now, in verse 30 here, we're almost done. It says salvation here. Okay, did you guys see that? Oh, I circled it for you. You see that? Salvation. This is not sotir in the Greek, which means savior, okay? And it's not sotira, which means salvation, but sotiran, speaking of one fitted to save. So have your eyes seen the Savior? Or are you still blind? Do you not see your need of Jesus? And I love you enough to tell you, God says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, if you are blind to the gospel, if you don't believe Jesus is the Savior of the world, it's because the God of this age, Satan himself, has blinded you. You are being blinded by Satan himself. But the light of the world has come. And the world doesn't want to deal with the light because they love the darkness. And that's why you need to repent. If you are blind and you are not born again, if you're not saved, if you don't believe in Jesus, you are choosing to live in darkness. You're hearing the gospel right now. You have a choice. Do you want to see salvation? You need to turn your eyes to him. You need to repent of your sin, of the darkness, 
and be in the light as he is in the light. And that's an invitation to all. Whoever desires can come. That's the beauty of the gospel, guys. Do you want to see? Or do you want to continue to wallow in the mud to play in the dark? Well, if I'm in the dark, I don't have to deal with anything because I can't see it. I don't really know what's going on. Come to the light, guys. There is a hope, a very real hope. So verses 34 and 35, the fall and the rising of many, when Jesus is preached, okay, he allows, or he, he, he always produces either a rising or a falling, okay? The preaching of Christ is foolishness to the world. You guys know that, right? Him and crucified, they don't like it. Not everyone likes hearing about that. It divides. He is history's dividing ridge. Neutrality is forever impossible. You have to deal with Jesus. Every single human being is being convicted by him. That's what the Bible says. And many reject. I don't like this truth, Holy Spirit. I don't like you revealing I don't like you saying that I've been created for God, that I'm to seek him, to know him. Don't you know I want to live in my sin, to be in the dark? You can't be neutral. You don't get to stand before God when you die one day and say, oh, I didn't really care either way. Don't you know I'm neutral? It doesn't work that way. A quote that I love. Rise on believers from your sin's dark depths. Rise believers above this world to the next. It's one or the other, guys. We're going to repent and turn to the Lord. If we are in the Lord, are we going to keep rising? I sure hope so. And the last thing we'll look at this morning is the sword. A large, wide sword. Signifying here, guys, extreme anguish. Mary did feel the sword. Did you guys catch that reading this morning? What Simeon had to say to her? Some of your moms are shaking your heads like, I get this. I would understand this as a mom all the more. Right? In her heart, repeatedly, she watched her son during his ministry. And then she stood there. You guys know that she was at the cross. Her son, her firstborn, was being crucified. She was there, guys. Watched him die. Do we await Christ's second advent with as much expectant, excitement, hope, as they did? Do we rejoice the way Anna did? Do we pray the way she does? Do we worship and share of Jesus the way she did? Are we waiting as Simeon waited, looking so forward to salvation, to the coming of Christ? Anticipation as did Simon (laughs) with the first coming of Christ is my heart's desire for his second coming. So I'd like us to stand and we're going to close together in prayer.
Before we pray, I want to share just one last thought. And this is for you, my brothers and sisters. Faith means more than believing in God. Faith means believing God. Do you guys see the difference there? Or do I need to preach another sermon real quick? You guys see the difference? Can we pray into that? That God would help? Because I'll confess, I have unbelief in my heart at times. There's times this world throws me a curveball. And I'm off. But that's the beauty because we can always turn back to Christ and believe, yes, this is what you've said. This is who you are. I'm trusting. Can we pray that God would give us that grace? So Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for examples that we have in men like Simeon and sisters like Anna. God, they stir us up to want to be more, more believing, (laughs) more led by your spirit, more trusting, more obedient. Heavenly Father, would you give each and every one of us, Lord, of your grace that we would be able to stay put upon our solid rock, upon you, Jesus. God, that we would not be moved by anything in this life, that you would help us in unbelief, that we would trust because we know you're faithful and we know that you're good. We've tasted and seen that, Father. God, and I I pray, Lord, that you would accomplish that in each and every one of our lives, please. God, help us to hold firm to the anchor of our soul in you, Jesus. Thank you so much that you came and you did, Father, and that you're coming again. We so look forward to that day. So our eyes are upon you, our hope. And as we enjoy you and walk with you, may there just be a beautiful overflow from our lives that would touch others, that would share our, our hope and our faith that we have in you, Jesus, that they would be able to see that you really are who you say you are, the Savior. Uh, that they too, Father, could have this relationship, this gift in you, God, to know eternal life, to be your kid. There is nothing better. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done, all that you're doing, God. We pray in the busyness of this season, Father, just a grace to be in step with you no matter what we have going on. God, we just want to be abiding well. We ask in your name. Amen. Amen.